This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That's the Athletics' Jesse Temple. We are still in Indiana. It's where the Badgers took care of Purdue on Friday night, 38-17. That's 17 straight wins over the Boilermakers. And it moved Wisconsin to 1-0. In Big Ten play for the first time since 2020. Plenty to get to. Got obviously a, a great start, Wisconsin. Tanner Mordecai doing damage with his legs. Defense bending but not breaking, forcing three turnovers. Unfortunately, though, Jesse, I think we have to start with what I would consider horrible news for Wisconsin as running back Ches Malusi went down with what appeared to be a very serious leg injury in the fourth quarter. Uh, was eventually carted off the field we saw him afterwards he was on crutches had his leg in a boot it feels like it's going to be a situation where we are not going to see Chez again this season and probably never again in a Wisconsin uniform which is very very unfortunate it was clearly bothering several guys mostly Braylon Allen or I should say more than anybody else probably Braylon Allen who's very very close to Chez Belusi we um he, I mean, he did not end up talking afterwards, but you could see the pain on his face when he's coming off the field. Very, very emotional. Um, it's, a, it's a horrible thing for the team because we know what Ches has been through, and to have your career likely end like that, that sucks. Yeah, obviously we haven't gotten a firm determination on his status, but all you have to do is watch or, frankly, choose not to watch the replay to know that it appeared – very serious and it's difficult because this is a really big win I think for Wisconsin and what it wants to achieve this season and yet at the same time you can't ignore how big of a loss this is for the team certainly on the field but in the way you hear uh, Fickle and the players talk about what he meant off the field it feels like an equally big loss there now he's still going to be around the team and they're going to support him and embrace him as much as they can but on the field, you don't have a guy that was really, I think, starting to excel, particularly in this new offense. He has, on the season, 51 carries for 307 yards, four touchdowns. He was averaging about six yards per carry. He he was dynamic and explosive. And the injury history really adds to all of this, which is another thing that, that Fickle and the players addressed. Two years ago, he tears his ACL in that game at Rutgers and he missed the rest of the season. Last year, he suffered a broken wrist. And now it seemed like, oh, he's finally healthy. And he and Braylon are going to form one of the most dynamic running back duos in the country. And I, I think this is clearly substantial. And in the moment, it was difficult for players to talk about what this means long term because they're still shaken up. This is going to change what Wisconsin's offense looks like moving forward but obviously before we get there you certainly hope the best for Chez. yeah there as you said there's a you know kind of two things you have to do here you have to think about it and what it impacts the team in the locker room and the way it impacts them mentally and then you have to think about what it does to the team on the field and both of them are not good if you're Wisconsin he as you mentioned fought through so much to be back to where he is right now where he was last night I mean just a few minutes, maybe just a few plays before this happened, he made a beautiful, beautiful blitz pickup that allowed Tanner Mordecai to find a guy down the field for, I think, 15 yards and a first down. Like it was, those are the type of things that you're going to miss. And um, 
I think it's hard to talk about that right now, but I think it's also probably what a lot of people are wondering, like how does this impact Wisconsin moving forward? And I think the guy who's obviously impacted the most is Braylon Allen, because the last two times that or last two times that last two years, I should say that Ches Malusi has gone down. It's meant Braylon Allen has to put a lot more on her shoulders. We know what happened in 2021 after Ches went down against Rutgers. It was the Braylon Allen show. A lot of people were very excited for it, but by the Minnesota game, he was done. Same thing. You could probably say last year after the broken arm, where he misses time, and it's a lot on Braylon Allen. So this affects Braylon in a couple different ways, obviously. Yeah, and what's interesting is the entire plan coming into the season, based on how Fickle had talked about it, was let's limit the touches, at least the carries for Braylon, so we can get him through a season healthy. He and Chez both. We, we touched on this earlier in the year that he had said, Fickle had said, a perfect game plan would be Braylon with 18 carries for 140 yards. And this obviously changes the math. And the other person that it significantly will impact, of course, presumably is Jackson Aker. The other name that Fickle mentioned after the game was Kate Iacomelli, but Aker has been the third running back. We have seen very little of him, understandably so, given that Braylon and Chez are so talented. But I do wonder what this means for Braylon's workload, how significantly it increases I just don't know if you can say, well, we're going to give Braylon the same rushing attempts and Jackson Aker is going to take all of the rushing attempts Chez had. Jackson is very versatile, very talented player, but you have to imagine that this would skew more toward Braylon. So they've got a lot to figure out. I suppose the good news for the Badgers is that they're going into their lone bye week of the season. But right now for the team, it's trying to deal with the shock of this happening and and it was really i think it's the fine what appears to be the finality of it all it just happened so quickly and it's such a a fluke play a guy tackles and puts all his weight on him and and the game's almost over too that's it there's only six and a half minutes left in the game now you got to deal with that part of it it sucks it sucks and you the finality of it certainly stands out i mean that has to hit everybody hard you think about in 2021 when he tore his ACL, he still had eligibility after that. Think about last year with the broken arm, still had the ability to come back. Feels unlikely he's going to have that ability. I mean, I guess he could fly for a hardship waiver, having his season end by injury, what, twice? But it, it would feel unlikely. But that's that's either way. The finality of it is very, very difficult, I think, for those in the locker room to deal with. And we, we saw, obviously, an outpouring support from fans online as well. And certainly we, I think, send our thoughts to uh, Ches Malusi as well as he goes through this but um, Wisconsin did get the job done last night Jesse and they did it in a way that they haven't done it this year and that is getting a strong start I don't know how much stronger of a start you can get for Wisconsin they score in their first three possessions uh, the defense holds I think uh, Purdue to three points in those in the first four possessions it was quite honestly obviously their most impressive performance to date game-wise. Now, I know there's going to be stuff we can talk about that didn't go well in the second half, and we will, but I think the start is exactly what you could have hoped for if you were Luke Fickle. It couldn't have been any better. We talked previously that Wisconsin had been outscored 41-30 to during the first half of non-conference games, and I went back and looked at the opening drive of each of those games, and Wisconsin punted in all three games. 
They ran 11 plays for a total of 18 yards. So for them to finally do what they had been doing in the third quarter had to be at least a bit of a sigh of relief, but also an indicator of what is possible for this offense. They just it couldn't have been any better with three drives, three touchdowns. Tanner Mordecai was dealing. I think Wisconsin established the run early. They handed the ball off to Braylon twice to open the game. Five-yard runs, boom. You have a first down. You're moving the ball. And Tanner showed what he could do with his legs, too, which is something that we've known, something that they obviously had to have watched on film, where Syracuse's quarterback last week against Purdue ran for 195 yards. But they had everything working, and the game was 21-3. to And the third touchdown drive ended with Braylon's 14-yard run. 16 plays, 75 yards, over 8 minutes and 41 seconds of game clock. It was really the perfect start. And that drive was easily the longest, both play-wise and uh, time of possession-wise. That was that was an old-school Wisconsin drive. And the only way they were able to do it was the third-down conversions. It, uh, a stat that has not necessarily been on Wisconsin's side to this point in the year. They were 13 of 37 coming into the game last night. They started out, I believe, uh, 8 for 8, correct? And then finished 12 for 18 so they had as many almost as many third down conversions on friday night as they did the entire first three games that to me is insane and i you know tanner mordecai was asked about it and he said i don't like to beat my chest about a lot of things especially in front of cameras but that that is something that we take a ton of pride in because they just haven't done it for the most part this year and to come out in, in a big moment and needing it and a lot of them were on that drive gosh that was impressive pickle addressed this on monday and what he said is when we make some of those third downs it's amazing what kind of energy and momentum you get on both sides of the ball and that's something they've been looking for wisconsin came into this game tied for 104th in the country in third down conversion rate 35.1 percent so for them to do that consistently First of all, it's encouraging from an offensive standpoint and incredibly demoralizing from a defensive standpoint. You get them in a position where you just need one stop, get them off the field, and Wisconsin continues to move the ball. We mentioned Tanner Mordecai had two rushing touchdowns. Both of those were on third down plays. He threw a seven-yard pass over the middle to C.J. Williams on third and five, threw a 15-yard pass to C.J. on third and eight. Chez had a couple third down conversions and Braylon had one too, all in that start where they went eight for eight and Wisconsin didn't fail on third down until just over two minutes left in the first half. It was the situation where Wisconsin was backed up. I think it was a penalty. It was third and 16 and Tanner scrambled for 12 yards and they had to punt, but to start the game eight for eight on third downs, it's again, really the perfect start and no game is going to be perfect. You're never going to go hundred percent on third down. You're never going to score a touchdown on every single drive. At least I, I don't think so, but I just continue to go back to that is the version of Wisconsin that has a chance to be really special this season. The question is, can you keep that up consistently? Yeah, it was funny. We were on that first drive. There were a couple of times when they, they did the, the read, and despite the end crashing, Tanner Mac, uh, Mordecai did not give the ball to the running back, or I should say he did not keep it, and there were some questions in the press box, like, why is he not keeping it? It's like, it's wide open right there. And he finally held it and <laughs> went right through the defense. I mean, that that is the, the quarterback run game burned Purdue last week against uh, Syracuse. And that first drive certainly appeared to be that it was going to be a big day for Tanner Mordecai. And it, it proved to be. I mean, he had 14 carries, 58 yards. Obviously, there was a lot more success early in the game than a little bit later, but he showed off 
that ability with his legs. And I, I, of all the things that happened in the game, that was probably the only thing I got right in talking about it beforehand because <laughs> we, we saw what Syracuse had done. I thought it could have been a big day for Tanner Mordecai, and it kind of was. So we mentioned you mentioned um, his ability. I mean, he, he didn't have a great day passing, obviously. I mean, he went 17 for 27, 174 yards, one interception. It was a great play by the DB. We also know the 58 yards and two scores, but he also caught two passes, one of which was a 19-yard catch and run, a great play by Will Pollen, but a little trickeration to get that going. We had seen some of it in practice, but impressive. Very much so. And obviously they also had the two-point conversion, which I know we'll probably get to because of the comparisons to Brett Bielma, but it just mm. shows the, the, the dynamic nature of this offense. I'm interested... Because in part, like with the two-point conversion, to put that out there at this stage when you got a big lead, but they probably feel like they, and, and Luke talked about this, they needed those points in that situation because of the way Purdue was moving the ball. Shout out to Will Pauling, though. How about that? Look at the quarterback rating. It's 259.6, one for one, 100% completion rate. May not have been the, the most, uh, you know, fundamental as you teach it in the quarterback room but that's because he doesn't normally have to throw yeah he never played quarterback in high school or as a youngster but he played baseball he was a shortstop and it kind of looked like it it kind of uh kind of looked like it he had a little bit of side sidearm throw there to uh to tanner so we'll see if that is something they break out again there were people on luke fickle's way out of the stadium he was running and Purdue, Purdue fans were all over him like yelling at him about going for two and uh, why would you show that in that situation when you're up by that much and I, I guess I can kind of see that but going for two was the right play there Fickle was uh was asked about it why go for two and he goes that's what the book says it was very reminiscent of Brett Bielema 13 years earlier when he said you know that's what the card said when they were up a lot more against Minnesota now that game was even more in the bag by the time Brett Bielema did it mm-hmm. But it didn't look like Ryan Walters was upset afterwards. He, Him and Luke Fickle uh, shared a handshake, and I don't know if it was – I think it was cordial. It's not like they sat there and talked to each other, but I don't think it's a situation where uh, he's holding out to his hand and telling him that's what's wrong with you like Tim Brewster did. Or, uh, yeah, Tim, yeah, Tim Brewster. I mean, it made it a three-touchdown game. And, again, Luke justified it afterward. He doesn't have to, but he's right. Didn't feel great about – the second half performance of the defense, Purdue continued to move it. And if you can go from being up 19 to 21, helps you a lot more than being up 20. So it's a fun play. Wisconsin needed some good momentum and was able to get that touchdown because Purdue really, they were kind of hanging around, hanging around. And you just thought, I know you felt this way, man, Wisconsin, this game should be over. And it wasn't. So they were able to close the deal. Yeah, I got, I have no issue with it. I have no issue whatsoever with it. And someone's, someone got my mentions like up 20 and you're scoring, you're putting the two point conversion on. That's yeah, that doesn't, that card doesn't say that. And I'm like, well, the situation was actually they were up 19 and it, it makes it 21 instead of uh, 20. And the way that Purdue was moving the ball, especially in the second half, it made sense. I have, there's, there's absolutely no reason to be upset with that. Now, again, the play call. Okay. Maybe you don't want to show that, but it is what it is. It's on. It's on film now. Now I have to prepare for it. So we'll we'll see if uh, if we see it again this year. Yeah, there were some other things there at the in the first half. They had an opportunity to do more with specifically the Skylar Bell play. Right, the Tanner Mordecai drops it in the bucket. 
and it's right where it needs to be. And it drops off of, or, a, you know, go, close off of Skylar Bell's hands. I watched the game back and he, it looked like he blamed the lights. He lost in the lights when it was coming over the top, but those are, t- those are plays that you have to make. Obviously if Skylar makes that play, then you've got four touchdowns on four drives and you feel even better. It's two big drops for him, but he's also made some big plays. Um, but yeah, you'd want to have that one back. You'd want to have that one back. It, you know, do we want to get into the negatives here? Or do we want to keep going with the positive? I thought maybe, uh, do you think everyone inside the building read your CJ Williams story? Simply because uh, he had more, he had more catches last night than he did in the first three games combined. He also had, um, <laughs> right. I, I don't know how many people in the program read the CJ Williams story, but obviously they made a concerted effort to get him the ball. The thing with covering a team is you can only write about what has happened so far. You can predict maybe what happens in the future, but it's funny because I've written about the fact that the defense had no turnovers through three, through two games. Then the defense gets six turnovers written about that. The offense just wasn't able to start. Well, then they scored three touchdowns in the first three drives. And it wrote about this week that CJ had four catches for 25 yards. And now he had five catches for 56 yards. So these things change from week to week and game to game, but for Wisconsin and for CJ, this was a really important development. I thought he showed good physicality mentioned earlier, the couple of third down conversions that they had the first one, he was able to get through some traffic to pick it up. He was a dynamic receiver in spring. And it was also interesting how they were using him because there was a stretch where he was on Chimray DK's side, so he was in the whole drive. It was Chimray, or excuse me, it was CJ, and it was Bryson on the outside. And then a different situation where CJ was in for Bryson, so it was Chimray and CJ. So they've obviously got three top receivers on the outside that they're continuing to rotate. So what should you write about next, uh, Wisconsin fans are wondering? Should it be about the run defense? Yeah, should it, probably. Should it... I mean, should it'll be this team can't win a Big Ten West uh, title and Big Ten championship in Luke Fickle's first season. Maybe that's where (laughs) it is. Maybe that's the one that you should get out there and write because you have uh, inspired them. I don't know about that, but you've you've done you've done uh, some some good work. If you're a Wisconsin fan, uh, you need Jesse to be writing about things that aren't going well and they'll end up just being perfect, just end up being great. So, yeah, good good day for uh cj williams and you know he was the leading receiver five catches not yards wise dk had more yards but uh a nice showing from cj williams so anything else that that stands out i thought james thompson jr had a hell of a game and i think ricardo hallman had a hell of a game it's kind of overshadowed by what happened in the second half but ricardo hallman picks off a pair of passes he's now got three in the last two weeks uh, James Thompson Jr. already has a career high in sacks, and he had two more tackles for loss. It was a couple of guys on defense stood out. Those two guys, shout out Nathaniel Vacos, again, specialists yeah. are people too. Three for three in the game, buried a 48-yarder. He's seven for seven this season. He's exactly who they thought he was coming out of Ohio from the transfer portal. He had a fantastic freshman season. He's off to a great start sophomore year. I know fans don't want to see the kicker because it means the offense failed to punch it in, but, but he's been great. You're right about Ricardo and James Ricardo. The the pick at the end of the half was big because they threw it into the end zone. Ricardo talked about it after the game. He knows with his size, he has to play really great 
fundamentally and really great with the technique. And that's what he was able to do. Also had the second interception in the second half. And there was a three play sequence to me that really highlighted how far James Thompson Jr. has come. So he got the sack, just blew right up the middle for an eight yard loss. And then there was this situation where Purdue had a third and 10. Hudson Card got out of the pocket, started running, looked like he was going to get the first down. And James had a chase down tackle, got him from behind for what ended up being an eight yard gain. So it was fourth and two, forced Purdue to punt. You, you may not look at that and think it's a huge play just when you look at the box score, but that's the kind of thing that can be a real game changer, obviously a drive changer. So he has really come along and there was a lot of talk here in recent weeks about the defensive line and who's going to step up and be that playmaker. They don't have Keanu Benton. They're rotating six, seven, eight guys. To me, he's the one who has emerged the most. And Friday was another example of it. Yes, it was a very good day for him. And again, the rushing defense, we can talk about that here in a second, but they want these guys to create chaos and he has answered the call to this point. So, um, all right. I feel like we'll be able to get all the defensive stuff that didn't go well uh, through our Twitter questions. Is that all right? Let's do it. All right. So we'll start with this. Our guy in uh, Vitaly Pisetsky, something we didn't actually talk about here yet. Uh, he asked what happened to our inside linebackers. Now we have seen a trio throughout the entire year, Muma Jong Meta and Jake Cheney and Jordan Turner. And on Friday nights, it was just Jake Cheney and Jordan Turner, except for one play, which doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but Mumo Jong Meta was on the field for one play. It was the play at the end of the game, the fourth and 10 play that uh, the last offensive play for Purdue, Luke Fickle's answer about why he didn't play. I didn't really understand. I also didn't necessarily get because uh, Jake Cheney got moved from his spot into Muma's spot during the week. So I, I think there's something going on there, but that fourth and 10 play kind of throws me for a loop. I have no idea what the answer is. It would have been much easier if he hadn't played and you could just say banged up and you can justify it. You're right. Luke was asked about it. I'm it didn't necessarily answer the question because Luke said that he was able to play and he said he was able to go it wasn't that he was out I'm looking at the the uh, transcription of her right now and he said he was in there later in the game we're we're just we're rolling through in some situations and he didn't play as much and if that's if that's it it's hard for me to see how that's possible if you're just rolling through <laughs> what you did was you replaced him with Jake Cheney and went with those two Cheney and Turner the whole game when Muma is a team captain. And I mean, look, I, I don't know. It's purely speculative right now. I don't know if they wanted a spark. I don't know what it is, but the fact that he was physically able to play, I think leaves us a little bit confused right now. It does. You're right. Had he not played at all, it would have made a lot more sense, but to throw him in there on fourth and 10, I mean, just, I don't get it. I don't get it. Now maybe Jordan Turner was dinged up on that last play because he was not on the field for it. But when I went back looking, because he said he played, I'm like, I, I didn't see him, but I was down on the field for the last few minutes, so I wouldn't have. But feels like something's more going there. But whatever. We have only what we know to go on. And Jake Cheney said that Mumu will be back. That's what he said. So we'll take it. I guess we'll just have to see how it comes when uh, they play Rutgers in a couple weeks. Buffy Badger asks, I know fans are discouraged about the defense this far, but who do you think the blame should be on? Coaching, defensive line, linebackers, secondary, something else? 
I never like to put blame on one area because I just don't think that's how it works. There's, I think it's got to be everything. It's, it's a new scheme. There, I, mean, I thought Jake Cheney gave some really illuminating answers. He was pretty honest, pretty, I think, disappointed in the performance of the defense. He was talking about general knowledge defensively, what's going to happen in a given situation that guys have to be smarter if Purdue's just thrown two passes and it didn't work and maybe they're going to run or if they've run a couple and being in the right spots. But they're also, you can see some of those big plays. He talked about it's one guy losing leverage and then everything gets messed up. It's not the running back made some amazing play and made five defenders miss. It's you saw it in some of those situations. One guy wasn't in the right spot and it led to these big plays. So I'm, I'm more inclined to put it on, everybody because it is a collective effort when you when you you say a a safety got an interception it's not just the safety who had it you see the defensive lineman affecting it so you but overall the 31 rushing attempts for purdue 194 yards 6.3 yards per carry multiple big plays tyrone tracy had a long uh, i think it was a 19 yard touchdown run for purdue's first score then he broke off a 24 yard run they had a 25 yard yard run Devin Maccabee had a 19-yard run. Hudson Card was able to make some plays. It's just, it's not good enough, and it has to be better. The encouraging thing is, if you want to say this is that whole bend but don't break thing, Purdue had almost 400 yards of total offense, only had two touchdowns. That's encouraging, but they have to be better defensively. They weren't, I mean, yes, for sure. Purdue was not very good running the ball at all to this point in a year. To run for 194 yards, which is actually the... um the second most Wisconsin's given up in a game since the start of 2020, only Ohio state has had more against the Badgers. And we know how they got gashed pretty I believe it was last year, but you know, to even back to 2019, Ohio state put up yards on the ground, but so did Nebraska. I think they had like 270 something, but this was not the Wisconsin defensive uh, front and linebackers that we we've come to know, but it feels correctable. And they have an opportunity to do that. It felt like some guys got leveraged. It felt like some guys were not fitting the run the way that they were supposed to. And maybe sometimes dancing around blocks, not getting off blocks. It was it was just not impressive whatsoever. So that's uh, that's certainly something that, that stood out as uh, not an overly positive thing. I didn't see anything in my Twitter questions about that, but I wanted to, about this, but I wanted to ask you 11 penalties, uh, more than double their season, more than double their season average, six of them false starts four on the o-line two on the special teams it was just a matter of what the hell are you how is this how is this possible that you're continuing to do this the pre-snap penalties just have to be so infuriating for the coaching staff it's and i know they did some late movement uh you know uh, purdue did but gosh that's really really tough really really tough and some of them were in, in key situations putting yourselves behind the sticks and especially in the in the red zone it, you can't do it. You just can't. It's a little head scratching. Jack Nelson had two. The refs, I think, actually said he had another one. If you watch, believe it was Michael Fertney. Riley Malman had one. Vinny Anthony had one on special teams as the gunner. He went early. Trey Wedig was on special teams, was flagged for one. Then he had various other calls. You know, Tanner Bordellini had a holding call. Hayden Rucci had one. There was the delay of game, the, the Tanner Mordecai uh, intentional grounding. I mean, it's, it's obviously too many penalties, but some of those, they feel correctable. Like you, you can't fall start six times in a game. It's, it's preposterous, even if you are on the road. So 
maybe I'll write about that. <laughs> I'll write about penalties. And then they'll have no penalties for no yards against Rutgers. I have a different P word. You use preposterous. I'm going to use pathetic. You can't, it, it just can't do it. You can't do it. And it's been that way the last couple of weeks, just like stupid, stupid penalties that, you know, I remember maybe Luke Fickle jinxed it in the first game. Cause he's like, we didn't, you know, they didn't have any pre-snap penalties, didn't have any post-snap penalties. It was the stuff in between that wasn't great, but the pre-snap penalties, which are totally on you, they have absolutely nothing to do with the, the opponent whatsoever. Like the holding, you could say that's, that's opponent related, right. Mm-hmm. Or even the grounding call is yep. opponent related when they blitzed him. The false starts are on you. You have no one to blame except for yourself. So has to be infuriating for Wisconsin and for uh, for Luke Fickle not to be able. And again, you know, when you talk about an undisciplined team, it's just something that, that can't keep up. And I have to, again, as I said, they have to be very, very upset about it. Moving back into these Twitter questions, Badger fans says, uh, what are your thoughts on the defense? We I know we've kind of talked about this already, but it says meshing the elite looks like bad at both. Is the scheme just not working? And what do you think needs to change? Wide open rush lanes, open receivers. Also, when do we play a team that huddles? Uh, they, I, I'd be shocked if they play a team that huddles this year, just to get that one out of the way, right? <laughs> I haven't evaluated the schedule, but, but this is pretty much how college football is. Like, you know who you know when they'll play? I think Iowa. Iowa. Uh, yeah. Iowa. You'll get to you'll get that opportunity. Um, yes. But the but the other parts of the question. Yeah, defensively. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> Just just before you jump into that, back to the the rushing. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you go and look at what Purdue did in the big plays. They had nine plays of ten or more yards on the ground. One hundred and fifty four of their one hundred ninety four yards came on nine plays. So that sticks out. But to the def- to the to this to this point, Hudson Card, they actually played pretty well uh, against the pass. I mean, Hudson Card mm-hmm. was not overly uh, effective whatsoever. I mean, he was 21 to 38, 202 yards and two interceptions. Now he was good with his feet, but that was about it. Yeah, I thought they defended the pass pretty well. It was mostly run defense where they were getting gashed on some big plays. With the defense, it's hard to say. Um, last year, they had a star playmaker in Nick Herbig, somebody who could consistently affect the game as a as a pass rusher. I think their star playmakers, Hunter Waller now, and he's all over the field, but has a little bit different role. I'm not sure. You know, they did get eight tackles for loss in that game. Daryl Peterson, Darren Varner, each had one and a half tackles for loss. James Thompson Jr., like we talked about, had a couple. So it's coming. I think it's just got to be more consistent. And I don't necessarily know where it's going to come from every game. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I think they're going to continue to make adjustments defensively. I don't know if we saw as much man defense last night as we have but yeah it's at some point you are who you are but it's still so early in this this tenure and in this overall season that it's it's you don't want to say that just yet there's there's you shouldn't be the same team and i've said this before as luke fickle articulated at the beginning of the year can't be the same team you are in week one or week four in this case as you're going to be in week eight and they need to obviously improve several areas on defense if they're going to have a chance to to slow some teams that are better offensively than Purdue was. So, all right, a couple more here. Scott says, is there a running back on the roster currently who can run outside the tackles? I miss Chez already. I don't think that's yeah. going to be Jackson. I don't think that's going to be Jackson Aker. No, I don't either. Um, I don't think 
And Kid Yakamele has some speed. I don't know how much we're going to see him. I know that Luke mentioned both of those guys. Maybe we do because they feel like they need to distribute it a little bit differently, but there's no, there's no player like Chess. Again, what we saw early this season was the very best of what Chess had to offer. It made him, I think, an ideal fit for this kind of offense. And there's just no way to replace specifically on the field what he brought. I don't think you can. Um, who who do you think that this is one of another question here for Chris is, you know, what running back of the roster would best complement Braylon, Braylon now that Chez is gone? And is it something that we could will we see that? And I know you just mentioned it, but will we see Jackson Aker get Malusi type run or is it going to be just, you know, Braylon Allen having to carry it 20 plus? Yeah, it's 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 an unknown one right now because they have to weigh so many factors. You want to be able to win the game. You want to have who you believe your best player to be out there on the field. But they have talked regularly about trying to figure out how to get Braylon through a season, which means not take the consistent pounding. And I don't, it wouldn't be as much of a concern or an issue if it was, let's just look at Jonathan Taylor because he got a million carries. He missed, what did he miss? One game or one half. Just he was so durable, and it's not a knock on Braylon. It's just what has happened. He's worn down over the course of the season. He's had lower body issues, and because of that history and injuries already so far early this season, you just want to be able to figure out how to get him through. So if that means that you give the ball to Jackson Aker or Kate Giacomelli, you do it. Ultimately, it comes down to the staff having enough confidence in whoever's on the field, but I don't know what that looks like with Jackson or Kate. I suppose we're going to find out soon. Any chance of it being Nate White season? I just, I don't think so. Um, I mean, again, we haven't seen all the practices in, in quite a while, but early in the season, he was the fifth of the five. Well, even I suppose when you include um, when Grover Bortolotti was healthy, he was getting run ahead of Nate White. So Nate had some really good moments with the third team group. I think it's a little early for him based on what we saw month, month and a half ago. For sure. Jeremy says, "What what's your take on the guys? Or say, what's your take on them running down the play clock when they're leading? A lot of snaps with 25 to 30 seconds left on the clock. I don't know if it was 25 to 30 seconds left, but there were certainly a double-digit number of seconds left on the clock when uh, Tanner Mordecai was, was taking some snaps there, Wisconsin clinging. I don't want to say clinging, but um, kind of clinging to a 13-point lead and not running the clock all the way down, even though it was inside, I think, like seven or eight minutes left in the game. That never made any sense to me at all <laughs> at all i know they want to go fast but that does that it does not make any sense to me at all i see both sides of it here from the, the wisconsin perspective and i think i might have talked about this on an earlier show but it goes back to you've got to have an identity and stick with that identity and the identity for this wisconsin offense is what it's going to be where it's a little bit faster at the same time i look at it and think well can't you just run the same play and snap the ball when there's five seconds on the clock? So I, I think there's a balance. Obviously, it worked out. It was fine. But that's a lot of seconds you're leaving on the table. Yeah. Another one here from Alex. He says the offense really got clicking today, seemed well balanced. What did you make of the option replays? And they added in. Will they be added in more frequently? I, I know I know. Mordecai said that they didn't look at what Purdue did against Syracuse. They were just going to do their thing. But do you think uh, we're going to see more of this, some of the option, some of the, uh, you know, Tanner keeping it, 
some of the design runs. I thought obviously we saw more of that last night than in the first three games for sure. It's certainly a possibility at this point. What you have to be concerned about is the health of your quarterback. So you get him out there on the run and he gets hit. All of a sudden, the trajectory of your season could change. But one thing, and I'm glad this was brought up, that we haven't necessarily talked about, that I've been tremendously impressed with through four games, is Mordecai's decision-making. Yes, he had a couple poor throws in week one, a couple interceptions. But on the whole, that's something that has really stood out. And those read options are a perfect example of it. You talked about the the one play where it was to, it was Chez was on the field, and the outside linebacker crashed down hard and would have blown up the play, and Tanner had the the wherewithal to see that, tuck it himself, and get a nice gain. And those are small things that make a substantial difference. So that, to me, is one of the biggest differentiators that he brings to the table is how intelligent he is, his ability to read defenses and make the right decision uh, a lot of times. I would agree. We have a few more, but I'm just, uh, they're all relatively the same question. What do they do at running back? Is there a chance yeah. that they move uh, anybody to that position? I mean, could they use, we've seen at times them use wide receivers in the backfield. Is it a possibility that they could fit one of those guys could fill a role that uh, Ches would might have. And obviously you're not going to ask them to run the ball a lot. You're not going to ask them to necessarily pass protect, but getting out in, in routes from the backfield. Man, that's a really hard question. Um, Anything is possible. I think in Phil Longo's offense, you want to figure out how to get the ball to your playmakers, certainly. And if you can do that with a wide receiver, you do it. But on the other hand, I think you got to go with what you have. And someone who's been playing that position the entire offseason, the entire preseason, and all of practices, maybe Jackson Aker will show that he's ready for this moment. He was a running back a couple of years ago. Didn't get a ton of touches, but I think on his first one, it ended up being a touchdown run. I know it was late in a game. So I, I, I kind of would be surprised if they just straight up moved a wide receiver there. I think it would be more Jackson Aker, but it is coming out of this game. It's kind of a shame that this is the main topic, but it is where Wisconsin finds itself right now is you've got to figure that out. And, now they got to regroup and take their time and make that determination. I don't know how big a play it was, but I th- certainly think it stands out. And we haven't mentioned it yet. Darian Varner and Caden mm-hmm. Johnson. Caden Johnson getting the. I, I still don't. I still don't know if it was a, if it was a pass or not. It was called a fumble either, so we're going to call it. We're going to call it that way. Caden Johnson getting the fumble, and then Darian Varner being alert. Devin Mockaby picks up the ball. Darian Varner comes over, knocks it loose, and recovers it. It was a hell of a play. Hell of a play. Great play comes down to the kind of we're talking about with Tanner Mordecai, that wherewithal, that knowledge of the game referees, they never blew anything dead. And it was strange because even on replay, I thought oh, that's a forward pass, but it wasn't. And Varner was able to knock it out and help to seal the game. So credit to him. And Luke Fickle talked about how it stemmed from a previous play in a different game where the defense kind of let up and wasn't ready and, and something bad happened to them. So Varner's continuing to show, you know, why he deserves to get more snaps there on the D-line. Is it possible to have a kickoff specialist <laughs> put it out of bounds three times in the first four games? Is that – it's possible, obviously, but is it something that if you're a Luke Fickle, you can handle and accept? No. I <laughs> No. If, if you're going to harp on false start penalty or run defense giving up, 
big plays. If you are the kickoff specialist, you literally have one job. And it entails not kicking it out of bound and giving the other team the ball at the 35 yard line. So I, I don't know what they do now. Last game, they briefly had Nathaniel Vacos handle the kickoffs, but it's a tricky situation because you probably want to make sure that he's good to go and healthy and has as strong a leg as he can for those field goals since he's 100% right now. But I, I, it's an issue. I don't know how you can say it's not. Yeah, for sure. I'll close with this one. Matthew asks, is the timing of the bye a good thing, especially with the unfortunate injury to Chez, or could it slow the progress down given they seemed to be clicking last night? I don't think it'll slow the progress down. Every year, the coach gets asked, hey, do you like when the bye is this year? And it's like, <laughs> you, you know, this is the hand that you're dealt. Um, I suppose it's it's good that the team has a little time to process this injury. Guys can try and recover, and the coaches can come up with a plan. But I don't think this bye week is going to prevent the team from coming out in the next game and continuing to execute. If anything, it's good because guys need the rest. And I don't know what the perfect strategy for a bye week is because you got four games then you got to go play eight and eight weeks and they're all big 10 games that are going to decide the fate of your season but it is what it is all right they are four games into the season so they're a third of the way through the through the year where do you think they stand how do you feel about this team right now compared to what we were talking about last week i assume your confidence in what you think they can accomplish has gone up or is it or is it still the same I want to say I'm more optimistic because of what we saw out of the offense. I do wonder if some of these defensive issues are going to continue to rear their ugly head, particularly against some stronger opponents later in the season. But maybe this is an offense that's going to need to put up five touchdowns in games to to win on occasion. And I think what we're seeing is a team that's capable of doing that, and we certainly could not have said that over the last few years. So I'm more encouraged at this point. I am. I am too. I just don't think Purdue's very good. And no, they're not. Just, I think we should, we should, you're right. We just have to judge it more so than just strictly what Wisconsin did. Right. Yeah. I think that's fair. Purdue's Purdue's one and three right now. And you can't deny that at the same time, Wisconsin needed this one. It's a great way to start big 10 play. I, I don't know. I mean, I want Ohio state to me right now, the way it's shaping up. Those are the ones that are really going to show what Wisconsin is made of. But this was the one Wisconsin had in front of it and they won the game by three touchdowns. So really a lot of things to clean up, but strong performance for the Badgers. Yeah, but now they get some time off or at least next weekend off. They're still going to be practicing this week, but they get the week uh, off from playing a game, perhaps getting a little bit healthy. And we'll see what it looks like when they rejoin or should say when they get back into it against Rutgers um, two, two weeks from now. All right, Jesse, thank you very much. Safe travels back to Wisconsin. You as well. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.